0: So you're in Zipolite, nude beach capital of the world. You must well, you have no tan lines.
1: Of Mexico, yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's it's an old hippie beach, basically. It was it was uh, conquered or colonized by the hippies in the counterculture in the 1960s, I think, in the 70s. But it's still got that vibe. It's very much, uh, yeah, and it's also, it's, it's called Beach of the Dead, and I think it's Beach of the Ancestors. So it was originally a sacred site for sure for the local people.
0: And the waves are really, really intense. Some people speculate that's why it has this meaning in in the indigenous language. I got swept out once and had to get rescued.
1: Yeah, like I say, I was here 20 years ago and there was no lifeguards at all. And and it, it would, people would, Drown like once a week. I mean, it was very it was very no- known for that because there was no lifeguards. There was only a few shacks on the beach, so it was quite a. It, it, yeah, it's very preca- the riptide. It's quite bad. It's really bad. Yikes! You, you yeah. be careful. Respect the sea for sure when you're here.
0: Totally. I just wasn't aware, and then suddenly I'd been pulled out, and yeah, yeah by the grace of God, before I'd even started to struggle, this chap had come out on a jet ski. I had a surfboard attached to the back with some ropes. So I had yeah. to grab the ropes. And then he was like crisscrossing across the waves. And that was more scary than the actual moment he'd saved me from. I was like flopping up and down like a, like a sausage clinging on for dear life. And then I was naked and I had to fill out like an insurance form. Didn't have to pay anything, but just for their record in the lifeguard tower with all these clothed Mexicans looking at me with a mix of sorrow and bemusement and probably slight disdain, disdain.
1: Another, another crazy local Westerner.
0: You haven't been swept out though.
1: Touchwood, no, no, I mean, I respect, I, like I say, 20 years ago you had to, and there was only a few, there was a couple of shacks, so you knew everyone on the beach and everyone knew that you were really careful. I mean, nowadays there's obviously a lot more tourists, so people come here without realizing that it, but you, you really knew you had to be careful. Mm -hmm. i mean i've been swept around by the waves and spattered and slammed on the floor and everything like that but that's that's all part of the fun really isn't it it's a good well
0: yeah but you're you're integrating from a pilgrimage in the desert
1: yes with the radical the wacholas um yeah, um, well, it's, it's two-week pilgrimage. We start in the desert, the Wirukuta, and then we go up to the communities in the mountains, spend a week in the communities, and then down to the coast to the other sacred sites. So we did four ceremonies over two weeks uh, at all their sacred sites. Yeah, it's. I mean, it. you need to integrate. It takes quite a bit to integrate, for
0: sure. We went, when I did that same trip, I think with the pretty much same crew, as you, two and a half years ago, we went to San Pancho on the west coast for three or, four, three or four days afterwards to put our feet yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah, I was there last year, San Pancho to finish. Uh, you need it. You need to be in the coast just to go
0: Whoo,
1: and try and land a bit for sure.
0: So tell us what, what, what came up for you during the journey and the ceremonies with the hickory medicine?
1: i think this was my sixth pilgrimage with them since 2016. it's the i think it's the fourth one in three years or fifth one in three years i can't work it out so i mean presumably it gets easier but to be honest it's this one was very intense every ceremony is and i'm committed i've got a uh, well i've completed a five-year commitment to a sacred site called wolf mountain which is in the communities.
0: Congratulations.
1: Um, thank you. Um so I'm in the second I mean it changes, you never quite know where we're at, but I'm in the second year of a new commitment. So it's part of a ten year commitment. So that is and for them they apprentice basically they apprentice to the sacred sites the sacred sites and the hickory and the fire that's what gives you the teachings that's what teaches you everything they don't really formally teach you anything you just you learn directly from the medicine or the fire or the sacred and more predominantly the sacred site. so that ceremony on the wolf mountain which was really is probably one of my strongest i've ever done um because i think with any of this work with the the sites the spirits that are at in the mountain the wolf spirit they're going to kind of look at you especially as an outsider to begin with and go okay who is this person are they committed have they got any real integrity about them are they just like a tourist basically are they coming because it's a nice experience so I think and then uh, once you complete the five-year commitment that's they say then the spirits start recognizing you and then they and then they're oh this person they're coming back they're committed we now can start working with them so I think like anything you just go much deeper much much deeper and and that place particularly if you're holding any burdens or traumas or anything like any bad energy or whatever, that's going to clean you. And so and for two weeks, the pilgrimage is just it's basically stripping you down, cleaning you, the Wirakuta which you went to the desert is the same. It just completely anything and it's normal, you live in a you got stressful lives or whatever. And also because I do a lot of the healing work as well. So and ceremony work for myself so that can mean carrying stuff for the land in the uk and also for other people so so i come here really to clean myself and to make sure that i'm full power in order to do the work so but obviously any cleaning any means kind of going through stuff purging it or healing or and also seeing yourself so it's just like layers and layers of seeing yourself more clearly and, and it's not always good things that you see it's not always stuff you want to see really but it in order to i mean for me that they they're very light the wira and that's i suppose the thing to aspire to but to be light and i think us westerners are really heavy really heavy energetically and that's not necessarily just about individuals that's that's generations and generations of ancestral trauma that hasn't been cleaned and cleared and so most people carrying a lot um hence the ceremonies in europe tend to be heavy so the in order to get light to get clean you have to go through a lot of shit really basically and then put yourself back together afterwards because it's all very well doing the ceremonies and the pilgrimage because it's all just as you know it's just like experience after experience without any time for integration. I know integration's this kind of buzzword now in the psychedelic community. It's like uh, everywhere on social media, integrate this. into. it's like they've suddenly realized that you have to actually put yourself together afterwards and everyone's kind of selling courses on integration or whatever. But it, I mean, it, it, I think for me, integrate, it means feeling, feeling what has happened and, and uh, releasing that. And most of the work happens after the pilgrimage for six months and then putting yourself back together.
0: Yeah, I had a really profound reset on this occasion out there. Yeah, I could go into it, but perhaps for another day. But I think I rushed myself back to the metropolis, Mexico City a bit too quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which a lot of people do. I mean, I'm really blessed at the moment because I can do a lot of work uh remotely so i can take the time um and, and be in a space and be near the sea every day and speak to the sea and and keep doing the offerings and keep doing the keep doing the rituals and the prayers so you stay within it i mean but it's normal i think it's normal to rush back and to it's also normal to try and close down again um mm-hmm. because it, it means being vulnerable raw exposed that and a lot of that we don't like naturally so it's it's normal to try and close down
0: yeah mainstream society at least in the west isn't so accustomed to seeing 6 foot 4 men dancing like deer with reckless abandon around a fire all night
1: but it should be we're working on it i mean it's we are like uh this is the kind of the slow movement of turning western society around and yeah so until that does happen I mean it happens in the woods in Sussex when I where, where I did the teaching but yeah we've got to get it out
0: although some people say that I know you weren't exactly speaking about peyote but some people say that it perhaps shouldn't leave Mexico or perhaps shouldn't leave the desert what do you make of that
1: the hickory? Um, well, it leaves the desert. It's always left the desert because the we would take it back to the communities. Uh, mm-hmm. And they've done, been doing that for thousands of years. And the bigger question is, is of Indigenous people sharing their traditions, their practices with Westerners. When they first started opening up, because they were very protective, I was in the desert 20 years ago, but not with them, because the idea of them opening up to, they were still very closed down. They opened up a bit in the 60s and 70s, and I met an elder in the communities. Basically, he said, we opened up in the 60s, 70s, these, all these anthropologists came and these spiritual seekers, and they made all these promises. And some anthropologists made their career on the back of the work they did there. And he said, they broke all their promises. They didn't help us as a people. And so we closed down again. And I thought that was kind of quite pointed. And, he, and then he said, we'll see if you lot are any different. And it was, it was a fair enough challenge. And I think um, the, the idea of reciprocity has to be fundamental to any working with indigenous people and not just reciprocity to give back more. If you can help them with very, and as, as we do with a very practical financial help, changing the communities, making sure that they've got running, have uh, got clean water and stuff like that. I think you have to give back a lot and, uh, and be part of these projects. But also from their point of view is that the West is. It's kind of the bigger picture, if you like. Humanity is on the brink. The the fire is telling them that. Mother Earth is telling them that. And the problems have started a lot in Western culture, or not even Western culture, more modern culture. And unless that changes, unless we start to change fundamentally to a more animistic view, I think, and seeing the world as interconnected and seeing ourselves as part of that, who knows what's gonna happen. So I think they're they're very pragmatic in my experience, the indigenous people I've worked with. It's not about individuals or helping individuals, although that might happen, it's about how can we change we need to the elements are starting to give humanity big warnings. The fire, the water is giving humanity big warnings. Indigenous people all over the world are praying and, and doing the rituals and doing the ceremonies to say, hold on, give us some time, but we need to wake up or we need to change as as, as a species. And I think that it drives, certainly the Indigenous people I've worked with, uh, them to share, and again, not so that we can uh, Uh, appropriate their traditions or take their traditions. I do a lot of teaching, but I don't teach, uh, obviously I'm influenced by the the Wirra and working with them, but I don't teach their traditions because it's not mine to teach. I teach a connection to the UK and the land there and and trying to uh, remember the traditions that are already in the land. And most indigenous people are saying this, we're not here to, for you to become marakamis or, or use our traditions we're here to help you to remember yours so it's a i think it's a complex question but i think the bigger picture is that indigenous people don't want to come out certainly don't want to come out they want to spend time with their communities every time they leave the communities it's really hard they can leave for three months at a time they work incredibly hard they bring a lot of healing to people but they're doing it for a bigger purpose really that's my sense that's absolutely
0: that seems to be the case for me and as you say of the men and the women that i've met from the community yes so so light and really just light-hearted there's a seriousness and yeah there's a solemnity too but yeah it's all characterized by a real gentleness and light-heartedness always yeah Fooling around and exactly. there's so much wisdom that they share as well, but it's all yeah, not that serious and and a yeah. little bit kind of anarchic. And I
1: think I mean, I think in my the older the tradition, because obviously the world have got an unbroken tradition pretty much, they're one of the few indigenous people kept resisted the Aztec, resisted resisted the Spanish. There's some syncretism, but uh not a lot. Um the older the tradition the more light i mean it's it's real powder it's very light on the surface it's very trickster like it's very playful it's very a lot of laughter a lot of not taking things seriously but underneath there's such an incredible commitment to the pilgrimages to the to the, I mean, the fasting that that they do, and the and obviously they don't walk the the whole pilgrimage anymore, but the the physical commitment and the fasting and the ceremonies and the not sleeping for days on end and and the the commitment to making those offerings is huge, and I think sometimes we, I th- one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that in the West or. we can, it's almost inverse on the surface, we can be very solemn, and very um, reverent, almost overly reverent on the surface. But beneath that, there's a kind of, for for better words, there can be a bit of a flakiness. um, And it doesn't have that because it just doesn't have the roots and 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 I think the the stronger the roots, the more powerful the tradition the the stronger the commitment in in a way, the stronger the discipline, then on the surface you can be much lighter, much lighter, much more playful, much more uh and plus, that's good medicine. I mean, that's how we learn, isn't
0: it? This is a stark contrast to the stiff upper lip of the British, and then once you get past that, there's actually very little. It's just all just a kind of social awkward, stiff upper lip. <laughs> Although I don't I don't know what, what sort of medicines these these chaps are purveying.
1: What do you mean, the stiff upper lip?
0: Yeah, the stiff upper lip people walking around everywhere. I, I think they're just like, you know, couple pints and maybe like a a scotch.
1: Yeah, I mean, but that's yeah, you've got the stiff upper lip and then you got pure violence and, uh, on every town centre, every, every Saturday night. And uh, as soon as you kind of remove that, all that social conditioning and then through the alcohol, yeah, it's pure aggression and violence. And I, I mean, it, working with the UK in the land in the UK uh, for really intimately and closely for the last 14 years, doing the teaching I do and, and working in the woods, for me there's a very wild spirit in the in the uk it's and it's but it's suppressed uh, through the the kind of the the mainstream culture if you like and that's why we have such this contrast of this so-called reserve and politeness but then you can get the the opposite on every town center on a saturday night um so um i mean the the Wirra and the Maricamis and the Mexicans, they love coming over to the UK because they, they see that, they feel that wildness and there's a, and also there's a similar sense of humour as well, there's a lot of piss taking, there's a lot of, um, uh, and I remember one of the, Rodrigo, who you know, was the first, when he came over, he was, he was going, oh you're so pagan here, because we were doing the ceremonies in the woods, and, it, and I think that if, for any shamanic kind of renaissance or whatever you want to call it in the uk it needs to have that wildness of spirit i remember being in a ceremony once i was holding a ceremony with the uh, doing my teaching and uh, and it's a bit of a wild ceremony We're around the, the fire the covered in clay drumming for hours there's a lot of Deep trance work, so we're using the drum to go into trance, but that means quite expressive with the movement, and uh, and sometimes when the spirits come in, it can be quite violent like that. The body can start shaking, and before you drop deep into a trance, I mean that's how I learned basically. I was used to have convulsive fits for fifteen years, and I cured myself by realizing it was a, a doorway to another um, uh, state of consciousness. But I remember being in this ceremony and just like seeing everyone and the drums are going crazy, the fire's crazy. Everyone's, uh, oh, we were using masks as well and and clay. and, And I was, and then I had this big vision of a deer. And and I was kind of questioning it. I was saying, "Why does it have to be so intense? Or, or why can't I just do a nice retreat? We just like put out the mats and sit there, dress in white, and just kind of do do a few stillness or whatever." I was like, "Why does it have to be so intense?" And uh, the deer answered me, and it said, "Because the land needs it." And I think that is one thing that the land in the UK needs. It needs a sense of wildness because it's an offering. Uh, and that is something that we've lost and it's really important you can we do the offerings with the uh the physical offerings of the coins the flowers the candles etc but it also needs that wild spirit to be released otherwise it's going to come out in in destructive ways as it does
0: because the attacks on pagan culture were perhaps some of the most systematic in the uk in, in the western world
1: Right, yeah, yeah. And we, I mean, we went out and colonized the world. We also colonized our own people first. We, there was a certain kind of, without getting too political, there's a certain class that just went and really systematically colonized the UK and put it up and, and put it into this, I would say, emotional, spiritual, psychic straitjacket. And, and then spread that disease across the world um and that and i think that needs a lot of healing it needs a lot of healing
0: for sure but but you're on the front lines we didn't really introduce you because that's not really my style we let it kind of roll through but yeah you're a shamanic healer and you work a lot with the drum which may surprise some people and i know that you do a lot of training courses as well
1: yeah, yeah, front line. Yeah, I mean it, that sounds really dramatic.
0: In in Westminster, like at the cenotaph, with a, a drum <laughs> yeah, in one hand yeah, and, exactly. and a, a, a mushroom that you're not even going to eat in the other. Yeah, exactly.
1: The revolution, come the revolution. Uh, I mean, I spent years in uh, in protests, uh, like anti-G8, etc. That was uh, quite a bit of my training, actually, in the like late 90s, early 2000s, like protesting, being in Genoa. I don't know if you remember in 2001, where there was a massive half a million people were protesting the, the G8 and capitalism. It was very uh there were the excesses of capitalism and very anarchic i mean i know i was working for friends of the earth i was in a lot of kind of ng uh, doing a lot of that work but i think what i realized and that was in the desert in i came to the uriku in 2002 and and had the vision that all that stuff is well and good but there was a lot of energy that was being wasted i think or a lot of anger a lot of kind of protests a lot of kind of acting out if you like and that uh, it was time for me i was around 28 29 so it was time for me to i don't know take a bit more of a mature approach i mean and that's when i had the vision to to just to to work in a different way i mean i literally I'd, mature, i was in a mature yeah, so you,
0: you'll get excommunicated from your friends of the earth garrison <laughs> for that comment
1: I don't mean that I mean not friends of the earth I mean the uh, like the kind of protest movement if you like and mature maybe there isn't the right word uh, I, what I saw was that there was so much healing still in the land and that desert as you know is like full of so much power and it was I just want to be part of that show me a way to be part of that and then i got the vision to, to 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 go deeper into this path maybe learn to to help people one-on-one which i did for seven or eight years doing the one-on-one healings full-time and then and then started teaching that um mature as in i needed to i needed to grow up not it's not judgment on what other people are doing
0: no of course and yeah there's there's obviously a massive place for protest and so yes. many innumerable examples of how they've had direct impacts. And yeah. even when perhaps they don't politically, it's, you know, it's it, you, you see how many people are out there making their voice be heard. And yeah. yeah, the decision makers either way are gonna notice that.
1: Yeah, I think what I saw was a lot of people were burning out really badly. Uh, and you can do that for a few years. And when I say mature, I mean it, and I think that's happened when, I mean, when I went to the, I was, um, uh, a few years ago, the, uh, um, when they took over London, the, what's, oh, I forgot
0: what Oh, Extinction Rebellion.
1: Extinction Rebellion. I could see how much that had evolved in terms of not uh, being too directly confrontational with the with the police and with the the forces. And I think that evolved in a really good way. I think back in the nineties and early two thousand a lot of people were burning out a lot. And in the kind of environmental movement because and and still does because there's a lot to hold. It's and you've people doing incredible work, but it's a lot to hold.
0: But you're right. I mean a lot of folks I know know of have moved into more spiritual realms or plant medicines or other bits and pieces that might provide them more nourishment,
1: yeah, I think it needs to go back as well. I could think sometimes people can go too much into the spiritual and, and it becomes and then it becomes very individualistic as well I need my healing I need to I need to get what I need to get, and people forget about society so i'd I'm not sure I've found that balance yet but I think it's really important the balance between doing say the spiritual work the cleaning the healing and being also protesting and 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 pushing society I'm not sure to change I haven't found that balance I went I've came from one and I went too far into the spiritual for a while and then coming out it's it's but that's I, I suppose just a process of again, growing up and and trying to, you're trying to change, I mean, we're trying to change massive things in terms of the way people view reality. I think that, I think if there is, and that is what drives me, if there's politically now, if people can see the world from more animistic perspective, the the way we treat mother earth the way we interact with ourselves as a community and with the earth it's going to change automatically because that is an extension of of it's a relation the tree is a relation the, the animal is a relation the plant is a relation or to be fair is it an elder and the, we need to respect that
0: yeah the spiritual community obviously does get a bit of criticism for perhaps not stepping in and making their voice heard on political issues. That's yeah. what may have led Medicine Festival to put a statement out on Israel and Palestine a week or two ago. I don't know if you saw it, but they no, they, they they got quite, quite a lot of criticism for it. I, I suppose there's probably a silent majority definitely. that maybe might agree with it as well, but it kind of sat on the fence.
1: I think, Any of this work can fire us up politically. think there's two things. A wisdom comes in of acceptance. There's that paradox. You have to accept the world as it is in order to heal anything or to change anything. So that comes in as a kind of under and that's what I was saying about the more the maturity that that sense of you can't force change, you can't be constantly driving change because you'll just you'll just be one of millions who burns out. And, And yeah, you may be and maybe that is for some people, that's a real sacrifice and that's their life path. Great um so that that wisdom come but also the firing up of i mean for me my passion now is indigenous people which it always was really because they're on the front line they're they're losing their lands their sacred sites are being drilled and mined their lives are actually on the front line and uh and they they still live in a lot of poverty and struggle from day to day as well so i think I think it's really important to retain that political edge. Shamans traditionally—they're uh, not necessarily the um, peacekeepers always. Shamans through time are there to 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 kind of fight for the culture, if if you like, and fight for. But also more importantly, they're there to fight on listen to. The, the spirits of the land they're there to what is needed and that's going to come into conflict with human society it always did does what the land needs what is and it, again it comes back to that bigger picture thing. it might go against the immediate needs of the com- human community. So I think you have to stand up for that whatever yeah. it is I mean whatever you you can't fight for everything for sure but um, but to stay true to your political principles.
0: So how does the land get its voice heard? I know you were talking about the wild spirit of the UK as well earlier. Maybe you could unpack that a little bit. I'm already hearing accusations of woo.
1: Accusations of woo? Fucking <laughs> okay, now. I mean, are you... <laughs> um, yeah i mean that's fair enough i'm standing in a field covered in clay and a mask with a drum talking to invisible uh invisible beings and taking it seriously i mean it's what can i say uh and making a really big point out of it um what how does the i mean that's the role of the shaman the this is something through the kind of I think, and this is going to me going to get on my high horse a bit, a lot of the shamanic renaissance, psychedelic renaissance in the West is very disembodied. It's very disconnected. People work as, uh, for example, use, they could be connecting to animals that don't exist in their local environment. They could be um, connecting to different cultures or more abstract principles of universal Consciousness or love or whatever that is, which is all great, but it's disembodied, it's disconnected, and the role of the shaman is to listen to the local land spirits, and that's that also cuts down on appropriation because, like I say, I work all the time with the Wirra. I've spent a decade with them, but that's not what I'm presenting in the UK because obviously I'm influenced on a very profound level by their teachings uh, and by what they and in huge gratitude and uh debt to them but i have to listen to the land and what the land requires in the uk and that just spends i mean i've been working in one woodland now doing the teachings uh, for twelve, thirteen 13 years and basically most of the ceremonies that i teach have have been influenced obviously by all the work i've done with different cultures but they've come from the land they've organically grown out of the land so listening to the land that's the role of the shaman listening to the local land spirits what does the and and any tradition in the UK is going to be completely different from Mexico because our elements are different we're much more wind and water, uh, as opposed to the fire, which is very strong here with the sun. Um, So. It's listening. It's evolving. It's it's finding the songs, which is another really important thing in the ceremonies. It's taken me. Twenty over twenty years to 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 find the songs of the land. I think they're not necessarily they're not certainly not in English or they're they're more tonal. Uh, but it's taken a long time to be able to, and that's what essentially shamans do, was scared ayahuascaras. They're singing the song of the plant and they're singing the song of the local local gods goddesses, the local land spirits. So that. And that can only be done through just continually going into trance, continually giving the offerings, communicate and listening to the land, if that's my, not-
0: my, my, my subsequent question would be a bit more straight-laced and serious. How did you learn the ways of these, these folks then? How did you begin to be a shamanic practitioner
1: I mean, I've told this story. I was mad for years. I mean, I was, I had a, a, a huge experience at 14 that just spontaneous, it was a convulsive fit. And then out of that fit, um, everything just went completely still. It was, uh, I mean, I can put words to it now, like a unitive experience of experience of oneness of, of, complete love and light and and power and beauty. But it came out of nothing. It was like, and to be fair, I've had a lot of experiences in trance with the medicines, without medicines, but nothing really got close to that experience at 14 that opened me up. But I had no context for it. I was going to be a professional footballer. I was grown up in a very normal household. And so I shut it down. And then for 14 years would suffered the fits minor psychotic breaks, um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of terror. Um, uh, because being open up to that level of consciousness, when you've got no context and the roadmap for it is is terrifying. It's awe-inspiring in the moment, but afterwards, it's it's that whole thing of putting yourself together. It took me 14 years, and it was only really discovering shamanism that I managed to put myself together, mainly because I had a roadmap or a context. Um,
0: Wow. So So when did it hit you then? When did this moment occur? When you were fourteen, spending your time playing football, certainly not reading the way of the shaman or looking (laughs) looking at mycology books. I was reading
1: James Bond. I was like, (laughs) I was going to be a footballer. I was like, grew up very working class. Like I was into football. I was into music, and that was it really. I mean, I, I went to India at 24, and that, I, I'd got into the counterculture before that and and started becoming interested in the beat generation and then the counterculture, etc. And then I went to India and I was like, what the fuck? This thing's been going on for thousands of years. I thought it just got invented in the 60s, all these ideas. Um, so obviously, as India camp, that was a and because I would go through periods of intense mental illness for a couple of years, and then it would calm. I'd find some something spontaneous, but I kept it. all. I didn't trust Western medicine, but I was also had a lot of shame, so I didn't really speak to anyone about it. I kind of really held it all in. Um, and in those days, no one talked about depression, especially as a man and, and like in the, that kind of culture, no one talked about feelings or anything. So. So I kind of went on and then India woke me up to go on a journey of of spirituality and I got into a lot of Eastern traditions, did a Vipassana that sent me mad again, I had to leave after six days and that was another three years of hell, since I have found quite a lot of people, but I'd never meditated before, I mean it's classic me, I'd never meditate and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it in 10 days. I'm going to like learn, like do the fast track. And I think I arrived even with a hangover and uh, I just, it was hell and I had to leave after six days. It just brought everything to the surface. And then I discovered shamanism uh, and that really helped me put myself back together. And then i started helping others but i suppose because i was blasted out and i looking back at those 14 years i was completely out of my body i was i was from a spiritual energetic perspective my soul just went and it took 14 years to kind of really come back so now as it i'm not that interested in blasting people open it's much more about Mm -hmm to use that integration work. it's just it's it's what it's anyone can take a plant or a medicine or a drug even and or do f- um, vision quests for four days and and not drink and and put their under huge pressure and open themselves up but it's what is useful to bring back so i'm kind of focused the focus is always on this integration like what can we what what is practical what is because being that open isn't that practical
0: sure so what happened during those 14 years i'm curious you managed to sort of hold down jobs relationships
1: uh that's a good question uh some jobs i mean in those days it was a bit um less pressure nowadays you have to have a career at uh, uh, 13 and it's that in those days it was more acceptable to drift i mean i traveled for two and a half years as well and after the vipassana a year of that was really difficult uh experiences yeah i managed to survive i managed to survive but it was uncomfortable but it would it wouldn't be permanent it would be kind of there was there was a couple of like two three year periods one of them after the vipassana the 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 it all kicked off really after an experience with an ecstasy tablet when I was 19, after the 14 and that had opened me up. It was in the height of kind of rave culture and that precipitated a lot of the anxiety, the, 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 the psychotic break. I mean, I use, I've got a lot of self-control, which can be a good thing and not a good, I mean, I would be walking along the street and I, 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 I would also be hallucinating that I'm climbing up the walls at the same time and like terrified and under that like, just absolute terror because I couldn't differentiate if I'm there, I'm here um, and just would just grip myself. I mean, I never went full blown into psychosis in terms of losing. I always had that this kind of quite a lot of self control, which. It's a good thing, obviously, in the long run. It's a really good thing, but at the time, it was it was like I was caught between not fully going mad and not being sane, and that was the that was the bit I hated the most because, and it was insomnia for months on end, and um, so yeah, just just lose it, but but also keeping that kind of very English. Uh, I'm alright. <laughs> Yeah. Like on the surface, like, I, I'm going to survive this. And I, I mean, mean when it, it, first... it
0: sounds pretty much like the purgatory we're all living in.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly, I... <laughs> but... just
0: exaggerated. And I reckon... drunk a lot.
1: I used to get into alcohol, I used to drink, the first time it happened, just to black out and then go through that cycle of uh, of like drinking all day and blacking out and um, i mean the, it runs in my family there's a lot of um, schizophrenia with close relatives and stuff like that so it's something that i didn't go fully into but i experienced that kind of half of it, if you like
0: yeah you you certainly flirted with it somehow <laughs> but this all led you to shamanism how how did you first yeah tune in turn out drop in, <laughs> drop in. Uh, it was the land in
1: australia if i'm honest it was being in australia after the, the vipassana experience and i was still kind of blown open and the one thing that i found solace even in the vipassana which i did in australia which was in the blue mountains I used to leg it out of the meditation uh, hall with all the kind of helpers chasing me and and, like just jump on, dive onto the floor on my belly, pull my back, like, and just lay there, even though there was like crazy snakes, it was in the kind of mountains, jungle uh, um, and just go, I need to be here. And even then I think I had that that sense that this is, and they would kind of coax me back into the meditation hall and it would be like, that's fucking hell in there. Um, because um, it's so quiet and it's and that's the other thing that for me West for me personally i can't connect in that way of stillness on that way of kind of quietude and that's why i get on with the drum but anyway so the land in in australia the outback just kind of just spoke to me i was we just traveled for weeks across the wilderness and it had such a profound impact on me and then i started learning about uh, aboriginal culture i started reading about them didn't um interact uh, with any kind of medicine people there but just learning about the culture and it felt like i'd come home just learning about this culture this this animistic culture this reverence for nature etc these these old magical traditions it just just blew me away and then um and then gradually started learning more about shamanism and uh, uh um and uh, and then eventually got a teacher um in in the uk actually but he i mean he was in based in brighton but he had a a base in the Wirakuta. He he bought a bit of land out there. He had just one building that didn't have a roof even, and uh, and through basically, I did I did this kind of afternoon workshop with him in Brighton, and it was the, no, I did it day, and the morning was great. We just did some visioning, but in the second, the afternoon we did this kind of um, uh, movement based thing, and suddenly I again I had this kind of I was possessed. And this energy came through me and I was just like, I was just, I could move energy with my hands. And it was a bit like that early experience. I was like blown away. And then that night I had a dream and a snake bit me on the ankle in the dream and I was agony. And I woke up like really rubbing it. And then a w- exactly a week later, I was playing football and I fell over on that ankle and done all the ligaments in the exact spot I'd been bitten in the dream. So I was like, this, this it's this guy's fault. He's introduced me to this dream with a snake. I'm going to go for him for a healing. I went to him for a healing. The healing was. It was rubbish that i didn't heal, heal my ankle but he persuaded me come to the desert in that moment so i ended up in the wirakuta a couple of weeks later went there two years running not working with the Wirra, and then 10 years later they arrive in the uk and it was like and then they were like this mystical people and uh uh um, like no one could get close to them. And then suddenly 10 years later, cause I hadn't worked with any medicine. I'd just worked with a drum or any other, I'd been really focused on that practice for 10 years. And then they arrive in the UK and obviously Kayamari, the spirit of the hickory was chasing her offerings, chasing me down to, the, to Sussex Woodland.
0: What a story. So what do you prefer <laughs> getting in a trance with a drum or eating peyote?
1: Uh personally the drum, I would say. I'm not person I'm not um I find I'd I'd love that we're a culture and obviously the hickory is an incredible teacher, but I find the um I find medicine ceremonies for long, if I'm honest. Um I love sweat lodges I love or Temascals or Sacred Saunas, I love um and I love the radical culture, but I'm more interested in the culture. I'm not. I've never been into it because of medicine. That that's a byproduct. Obviously, it's a huge byproduct, and it, and it hugely healing. But it's hard. I think when you make a commitment mm-hmm. for ten years, it it takes you deeper and deeper, and more and more layers off. So, I mean, I love it all. If I'm honest, I love it all. I love the any I love ceremony. It doesn't matter whether it's medicine or non-medicine. I just love the ritual of it. I love the ceremony. I love the the humor of it and the place that it puts us in.
0: And just the connection. I was in a that night, yeah. ceremony of sorts on Sunday. There was a sound bath and then we did art therapy and then there was music in the evening and just being in a circle with with 20 of your compatriots when else do you have that opportunity to really authentically relate and and connect with each other
1: exactly yeah it's about it's that connection it's connection to the group to each other to yourself but and and to the land it's that making that connection
0: so what's it like then being in a trance to the beat of a drum
1: it's very embodied to begin with so when you you're working with the trance with the drum you you've got to you've got to you've got to be drumming quite relentlessly for quite a long time for hours and hours and hours um usually fasting usually so uh so the body is kind of um is weakened a little bit. And then obviously, for the first 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you're going to use your own energy, and everyone's get really like, like, yeah, let's go and then and then the um, the energy dissipates, the personal energy dissipates. It's not even about the drum. It's about what we call kind of, it's more like a possession based trance and possession has a lot of negative um, connotations. But really, a lot of shamanic traditions use possession based trance so you you give your body over as a vehicle for the spirit to come in and to move you and then that creates ecstasy Uh, it creates this sense of power of ecstasy but it's a very grounded embodied experience I mean it can go further you can then propel yourself way out and and have extraordinary visions. But it's, it's more like a coming in. And I think that's why it suits Westerners, because we're, we're very disassociated in, in our society, in our culture, and in, individually. So I think it's really important to come in first to the body, to land in the body. Um, it's a very sensual experience, very sensual experience of that connection with nature, especially if you're there with the fire in the woods. I mean, nowadays, I don't personally, I don't even, I don't need the drum. I've been working with it for 20 years, so I can go into a trance very quickly. And I use a lot of chanting now and and, and singing and the voice and working with uh, the medicines of the UK as well, which is where my work is is very much going. Um, So that is probably my favorite now. So, but I think if anyone is learning shamanic stuff or whatever, I think, or, or working with plants i think it's really important i mean i'm a bit of a purist like that to to have a, a way without medicine and the drum is 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 a is a huge gift for that um, so, and it's Were very able ground you have
0: any influence upon the spirits in which you're summoning
1: yeah because i imagine of there's a
0: there's a lot of spirits out there right
1: yeah, I mean that's my job. That's and that's the job of anyone holding the ceremony. You've got to make sure the spirits coming in are the ones that are the helping ones, the ones that can. Uh, I mean, there's two things that happen in a ceremony when you're embodying the spirits or um, merging with them. Is that any spirit can come? The trickster spirits, the spirits of sickness, chaos, disease, uh, and they do and my job and is to make sure they get cleaned out very quickly. And there's there's protections in place. But the other thing is, the minute you start connecting to power, whether it's the same thing as when you take a medicine plant, the, the first thing the medicine plant does is, or the spirit is scans your body and looks where any blockages are. So when usually people feel nauseous, they can get well uh, or purge. Um, and it's the same it's exactly the same principle with the drum when you bring in the spirits they're going to start moving into people's bodies and see where the blockages and start dis discombobulating those blockages so then the ceremonial space becomes full of all these energies flying around which is people's sickness basically so again my job is to make sure that a sickness as it arrives is shifted out and
0: how do you do that and how can you how can you discern as well between the energies one wants to welcome and the ones you want to dispel as soon as possible through means in which you're about to reveal
1: just, just experience and to be honest the biggest training there is and this is everyone wants to hold space everyone wants to kind of hold a ceremony but i learned working for seven to ten years and now up to 15 years with people one-on-one so you i do in the one-on-one healings so I'd learn about the spirit of sickness very much by treating thousands of people. And I know what the spirits of sickness, the trickster spirits, what they look like. I know how to discern them by thousands of people going into their energy and holding that one person. But you're never holding that one person. You're holding them, you're holding all their connections, their family, their ancestors. So working with one person, you're working with a huge array of spirits already. Magnav. if I'm holding a sweat lodge, for example, I'm doing that kind of healing on 20 people. I need a lot of power. I need a lot of strength. I need a lot of experience. And so that's why the, the one on one stuff, which is a bit less glamorous, if you like, than the holding of space of groups. For me, that needs to be done for years and years and years to learn really specifically what how to discern the different spirits what is power what's energy what's helping spirits what is because the trickster spirits are tricky by nature they can they can they can trick you into believing that they're helping spirits so you need to be able to yeah it's and that can only be done through experience and making mistakes as well and and, and screwing up
0: what drives you to do this work then
1: i think at the beginning it was to give back because i received a lot of healing myself i i was relieved of a lot of my symptoms that fits the 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 extremes of the mental illnesses the highs the lows um
0: what the chap that broke your ankle did manage to do that
1: no no the did it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean he helped as all, all the teachers do but uh, yeah um uh um what drives me now? more of a I, I always feel like i have a slight ambivalent relationship with this path i'm not uh, and i think that's healthy to be honest i mean i've been through a lot in my life i've lost people close to me I've i've been through a lot of grief grief and through that i've been through a lot of disillusionment of because i think a lot of people as i did get into spirituality as some kind of savior it's going to save you from yourself it's going to it's going to somehow make your life this this wonderful meaningful amazingly powerful thing and actually the path of the healer the shaman is 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 quite tough really you're you're dealing with a lot of heavy energies a lot of the time and you're constantly having to go through your own changes um what drives me is the bigger picture is is the is wanting to be a small part of the solution of, of healing the relationship between the human and, and, and nature. That's that's what drives me. That's always what drives me, being of service in that way. Um, and, and it's because I went through a lot of grief recently through losing my wife, as you mentioned before we came on. Um, if I hadn't had this path, I wouldn't have survived. I can pretty say much say that because I was in my mid forties. I was tired. I'd been through a lot in my life, and then we went through three years of cancer, and then I lost my wife, and I three years of grief. The Wirra put me back together. I was in a pilgrimage less than six months after she died. It was one of the hardest things I did, but they put me back together. They've they, they've they've given me so much. They the support as a family. The community, the community I've created through the work I do, they held me even, and uh, uh, and gave so much back. So, and this path, the meaning that it's given me, the even in the the deepest tragedies, is what uh, there's. There's no choice, and it and it it also it makes life so much richer. I mean, it does. I always say this, you look at the Wirra, they, they spend six months of their year doing offerings, doing pilgrimages, spending most of their spare money on all these offerings, on all these pilgrimages, praying thousands of miles away that the rains might come to the community, praying to God. You could say that's that's crazy behavior. They'd be much better to use that money to into development, develop the, the communities or whatever, but, and it doesn't matter you can't you can only judge it from your experiences i believe and my experiences are the spirits as real as me and you but other people might not have that belief however i look at their life i look how light they are i look at the richness of the life and i look at the richness that shamanism creates there's no better moment than crawling out of a sweat lodge at three in the morning after putting yourself under this extreme pressure and like singing together and everyone's just wiped and you just feel that magic of being alive. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what drives it. That feeling at the end of a ceremony, the laughter, the feeling of closeness, the feeling of the ridiculous. I was saying this the other night to some students. It's not a real shamanic ceremony unless, in the middle of the night, at some point, you you look around, and you have a moment of thinking, "What the fuck? What, what's going on here? This is ridiculous. This is no. This is stupid. This is." That's that's when you know it's a real kind of ceremony. It's the same with the pilgrimage. Those moments, that's what keeps me going, definitely.
0: What an epic response. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can tell you've you lived more than nine lives. And yeah, it's, it's it's great that you've got this sense of perspective and that you're giving back and that you're training, I guess, future generations in the UK. And I know that your course is, is fairly well-regarded i am curious though if if it made it more difficult being somewhat in the public eye during during your wife's illness and then afterwards because i remember that was the first time i ever heard of you right some of some of the statements you made following her sad death i think you were invoking some of the themes that we've discussed today but it, it was viewed fairly sympathetically at the time which might speak to a changing culture around plant medicines and shamanism and earth religions or or simply the high regard your wife was held in
1: yeah Um, i mean ali used to joke you get the sympathy card where you can say what you like and, and <laughs> because you're going through cancer or you're going i mean she used to like well no she used to call it on facebook the sympathy likes i mean she was being ironic uh the, she was held in a massive and she wrote so honestly on her blog about because she'd been with the Wera we'd been on pilgrimage together we had been working together in the woods and she, she'd held this Position in the public eye, obviously, as a, a ex TV star, and and was incredibly brave with her vulnerability and honesty, and that profoundly affected a lot of people, I think, and it inspired me. I mean, I've always been a bit of an oversharer, anyway. Um, I think uh, because it counteracted those years of just keeping everything locked in when I was mad or going mad. So I kind of went the other way. Um, I wrote a first book, my first book, which was very kind of raw and honest. Um, uh, but it, I think it, it there's, there is a few things. As uh, grief profoundly touches people, and it, it means that people share that grief and really open their heart to what you're saying. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. And the support you get back from that is incredible. It, and it was very sympathetically uh, uh, in the mainstream um, addressed, I think, uh, but surprisingly so in, in some of the newspapers, etc. um uh, although I did, we did laugh at um, one headline with the Daily Mail was Mexican shaman comes to hospital in Worthing to to to, to, to treat because she'd written about this in a blog, which is a true story. We actually smuggled marihuana in in the middle of the night into the hospital to do a healing just after she'd been diagnosed, which was incredible. Um, <laughs> and the other thing is changing, changing attitudes towards. I've known noticed huge amount of change. 10 years ago, this was a subculture. You, you could maybe go to one or two ceremonies a year. Nowadays, you could go one a week in the UK or Europe. There's so many indigenous people coming over, but also different traditions. Um, but there is much more mainstream sympathy. I mean, I've been talking to quite a few mainstream outlets about this work, and the questions are different, the the way people are listening are different. So, I de- there's a definitely shift that's the kind of pivotal point we find ourselves, I think. And it, it's, it's precarious because it could go one way that things like shamanism becomes very watered down and very kind of commodified, which is happening as well. But also, it needs to go into the mainstream to change things so I think holding the integrity but definitely there's a change in culture
0: absolutely it's quite the scene though that you've conjured with the Mexican maracame being snuck into a home county's hospital possibly wearing one of the hats that you can't, you, in... you can't keep quiet those those in... hats rat- rattling around but in... what, what what did they manage to do like in the healing with your wife and and did they like report anything back of the the, <laughs> the symptoms that that they could or couldn't relieve for example
1: she hadn't yet been diagnosed. She was rushed to hospital with uh, the the um, the cancer had gone into the lining of the heart and it, it caused the, the, the massive fluid swelling and she literally almost died. We were in a ceremony. Uh, I was actually not in the, I was in a ceremony in Devon um, and he'd done a healing the previous night. And I think, and that the next morning she was rushed to hospital and in hospital they saved her life. So I think that healing definitely, um uh saved her life uh and she would say the same in that moment because she was literally hours from from the heart stopping and it, i mean she came very close anyway um so she hadn't yet been diagnosed with the um with the cancer um uh he came to the hospital in full regalia full full hat and uh, uh i mean one of the first things he said was we're walking through the hospital. Was you bring your sick here? Because he would just couldn't believe he was overwhelmed with the energies of sickness. Basically, he was like, "This is the worst place you could bring your sick." Because there's so much, uh, uh, and he didn't. He wanted to get out there quite quickly. But anyway, he he just scanned her. Immediately went to the point, which we found out later where the cancer was, which was in the lung uh exact point and he was he was saying it's too hot here it's like a it's there's like a it's there's too much heat and so he did a lot of healing on that and then uh uh, moving the blood flow basically she the diagnose the prognosis for how advanced the cancer was uh i since found out was less than two months uh, the prognosis She survived for three years. A lot of that without any conventional medicine, a lot of it with conventional medicine, but a lot with uh, um, things like the cannabis oil, but also a lot of healing. And a lot of so. So he again, I think helped massively in that time.
0: And it's interesting as well. Reiki is being mainstreamed. They even provide it in hospitals now as well. Kind of adjunct therapy for people recovering from cancer treatments and and elsewhere, yeah. and and that's not dissimilar to these sorts of healings that yeah you're I mean describing.
1: yeah it'd be, it would be incredible to get shamanic healing there because you'd also look at things like soul loss and the trauma that people go through when they're sick and that, which causes massive soul loss and bringing back people's soul but also cleaning people out. I mean reiki is definitely a really good first step, but it would the shamanic healing tends to go much, much deeper and to, to, uh, to attempt to address some of the root causes. So um, it would be, I mean, that's what's really exciting. That sort of stuff is what's exciting about going into the mainstream, that sort of work. There's also obviously the prison work that people do with medicines like ayahuasca, but also with sweat lodges. So that kind of ceremonial bringing people, going into prisons and bringing people into ceremony. And uh, that's really what is like, because the danger is it becomes a bit of a middle-class sport, which I've always said about shamanism, because it is people with more, it tends to attract people more educated, have got more kind of time on their hands, if you like. But it, it really, which is ironic because you go to the communities and it reminds me of growing up on a council estate in the seventies. It's like rough and everyone knows each other's business. It's the kids are half wild, running around really cheeky. And uh, so actually the indigenous is is completely different. Um, So I think things like that is really, really amazing to to, to, that's the way shamanism can really land in a really practical way.
0: Ayahuasca in prisons though, do I hear you correctly?
1: yeah they use that in brazil quite a bit uh, there's been a um a lot of programs around that to, uh, particularly with the most violent offenders uh like people in for life or the most violent of uh, f- offenders and uh, they have an incredible results
0: and so do they consent to it or are they p- prescribed by a judge so 15 years and 12 ayahuasca ceremonies. Can you imagine? Like, just and give me get, the and time. They get, and they get, get carted off to be force fed this sort of like cigarette butt infused Bloody Mary drink.
1: It's a bit like the uh, what was it, uh, MK Ultra in the 60s? They were using that acid, weren't they?
0: Yeah, but they weren't telling them.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's what you Um, but uh, no i mean it, it's like voluntary programs obviously it's going it's rehabilitation basically it's trying to rehabilitate and and look at the kind of essential what what it's the same principle what causes so much alcoholism or or drug addiction or addictions in general or abuse or violence is this kind of lack of a lack of accountability lack of ability to go within and see the harm you've done others and then the next stage of that healing that and forgiveness and, and and asking for forgiveness but also forgiving yourself and letting go so it is a lot of it's looking at it from a much more holistic perspective i suppose wow
0: well, i'm just looking at the new york times now in brazil some inmates get therapy of a hallucinogenic tea march 2015 yeah from one chap who's serving a sentence for homicide I'm finally realising I was on the wrong path in this life. Each experience helps me communicate with my victim to beg for forgiveness.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's extraordinary. Extraordinary. And you imagine that and change that can have on an ancestral level. So this person, and I think that's... He's doing the healing in his life. So his descendants, if he has, don't, don't have to carry that and then carry it through this excessive guilt or, or needing to kind of uh, ask for forgiveness for life, to, for existence, which could affect that kind of coming down, that sort of brutal ancestral trauma or memory.
0: Incredible. I have to look into it a bit more. So what's next for you then, just to wrap things up? When are you back to the UK? I mean,
1: I, I teach again, I'm back in, I'll be April. The season, because work in the woods is April to October, really, and that's when we do the really intensive work. So I'll be back for then, and uh, maybe a few ceremonies before March, probably back around March, hopefully. I might be going to the States in February, doing some teaching there, we'll see. And I just had an idea for a new book. So I got to start, well, I started that a couple of days ago. In between, I do, Distant work, I do distant healing, distant teaching, so just keeping my hand in, really.
0: Amazing, and perhaps one parting shot of wisdom for folks who are maybe considering becoming medicine men and wanting to be the ones serving the psychedelics, as a a man who primarily works with a percussion instrument, what what would you say? Uh,
1: Be patient, take your time, I mean, these apprenticeships, traditional, I mean, I, I'm a bit of a purist. I would never work with a medicine that doesn't grow in my land where I'm from because I, I don't have the ancestral connection. Some people do, but I think you need that commitment of five, 10 years of working with teachers who have it in the ancestral tradition uh, and in the land where it comes from. And spending and making that commitment to the because it's not just about the plants it's about the offerings that are made to the the, the spirit of the land where the the, the the plant grows, and and get the blessing get the blessing of of the elders uh, to to um um to 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 do the work to 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 hold that space that's my I'm a bit of a purist with it uh, um. I think power, it's power, you're working with powerful, powerful energies and also learn, learn about healing, learn about the one-on-one stuff, Lou, which is what I said, look, learn how energy works and uh, not just with your own energy, not just because people go very much on their own journey going, oh, I've healed this in myself and that's great. And that's what I did for 14 years. But then you've got to learn how to that translates to other people.
0: So you do a bit of work with Liberty Caps and the Magic Mushrooms of England, you're suggesting. I don't mean we discussed that before.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that is the medicine of they're a huge, powerful medicine spirit, I believe. And, but it, again, it's a, it's a spirit that's been kind of used for a lot recreationally. So my understanding with that spirit is that it needs, it needs to be shown that people are going to work with it in a healing way. And that means learning the songs, and it, it's taken me t- about seven or eight years to learn the songs uh, of the medicine. So uh, I think that's, um, uh, and that is just a continued relationship. It's like building any relationship. The relationship takes time, and you can have you have the kind of amazing experiences at the beginning. Of course you do. It's like the beginning of any relationship you fall in love, you kind of, your heart's open, this person is for life, this is incredible, and people do that with medicine a lot, but the, the actual relationship is the one that is five years down the line, and you're still, and you've seen the shadow of that person, and the spirit of the the plant, whatever it is, has is, is, is kind of pushed you in a lot of ways, and you've fallen out of love with that medicine, and you just, you want anything else but this path, you want to just kind of, throw it all around away and just become an accountant or something that's like that's when the kind of that's when the real teaching becomes i think
0: So how does it go then the song of the liberty cap
1: <laughs> it's a chant it's 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 a chant i mean people will use different uh um uh ways I'm not going to share it now it, it, because it's it comes in a, in a sacred context, but it's a chant and it's I mean, the chant, I'm also obviously influenced by the marakamis. So when I'm working, the chants can go on for 45 minutes, an hour there and they're tonal. They're not it's not about a song as in. And that's the difference with it's like the drum isn't an instrument. The voice isn't an instrument in 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 sh, in shamanic work. It's a tool. And you use tones in order to move energy to call in spirits and to and to basically open the space. Use I use my voice for everything.
0: All right. Well, it's been a really, really interesting discussion. First time I've spoken to a medicine man from the UK. So thanks so much, Jez. Long live the Liberty Cap as well. (laughs) Long live the